0: And welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You could also chime in via Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the cores Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Wildcard weekend in the books. We're going to recap... All four games. We're also going to talk about some common themes, points about the offensive line and so forth, takeaways that the Giants can utilize as they get set to make changes to this roster in the offseason. Plus, we'll get to your phone calls, obviously, at 201 939 4513. So, let's start with what was a wild, wild card weekend group of games. And before we get into the nuts and the bolts about the contest, I think one of the biggest takeaways, Paul, and you and I were doing some mathematics before the show was it was no surprise that the four teams that won all, to me, won the battle in the trenches, whether it be from an offensive line standpoint or whether it be from a defensive line standpoint. You look at what the Indianapolis Colts did to Deshaun Watson, their ability to pound the football, gave Andrew Luck what seemed to be a year and a Sunday to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. The Dallas Cowboys, I thought, did the same. They didn't necessarily get an immense amount to sacks, but they applied pressure on Russell Wilson. They also ran the ball effectively with Zeke. And then in the games on Sunday, the Chargers got after Lamar Jackson, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram all over the place. They didn't run the ball crazy, the Chargers, but Phillip Rivers certainly had an opportunity to survey the field enough to build a lead and close out the contest. And then... The job the Eagles did, Jason Peters completely neutralized Khalil Mack, who was one of the most intimidating defensive linemen the entire season. So there's a huge trend across the board right there.
1: Well, no surprise, something we've been preaching for a very, very long time. And just to give you a couple of numbers here, uh, over the course of the four wildcard games, we did some totals. Losing teams threw the ball 131 times, took 13 quarterback sacks, and had their quarterbacks hit 26 times. So if you want to call them disruptive plays between the hits and the sacks, that's 39 in 131 attempts. Of course, that doesn't count the fact that the sacks are actually dropbacks, so you could call dropbacks if part you Part of the attempt total. Right. Uh, well, it's not part of the attempt total. The attempt total would, was less than the dropback well, meaning, total.
0: Meaning part of the pass plays, I should say, yeah. in terms of what they did. In Winning the play
1: teams, ball. 107 passing attempts, three quarterbacks sacked 21 quarterback hits so 24 disruptive plays 107 attempts compared to 39 disruptive plays 131 attempts and of course I know that when teams are in front they're going to run the ball more so the fact that winning teams ran it 125 times and losing teams ran it only 81 times doesn't mean a whole lot I get that we'll push that aside it does of course go to the overall balance of what teams tried to do. Um, I did not calculate when the score was a t- was tied or within maybe one score, how was the balance for each of the teams in terms of run-pass ratio. I would say that I'm sure the teams that were more balanced were the teams that eventually went on to win. But you can't ignore the fact uh, about the sacks and and the pass protection, which, again, goes to the point that you must always – prioritize the trenches and anybody who thinks otherwise you know going out and getting a a running quarterback is a wet band-aid okay wet band-aids don't heal the wounds they simply cover them up for a short period of time eventually you will pay the price for it especially when you get to the postseason when the best teams know that you've got to control the trenches
0: Well, you could also argue running quarterbacks tend to take more sacks than the other quarterbacks just because they hold on to the football longer. So I think we also saw that, and that's another reason why a running quarterback doesn't solve all of your offensive line issues, because if they're holding on to the football and they're trying to make something out of nothing, it doesn't always turn out positively. Now, if you look at all of these offensive lines that we're talking about, well, let's take it a step back. The Indianapolis Colts. Gave up the most sacks last season. Now, I know Andrew Luck didn't play. One of the reasons why he didn't play last season because he took so many hits two years ago, Paul. So it was Jacoby Brissett. They Mm -hmm. still gave up all of those sacks last season. Gave up the fewest sacks this season. Why? Because they went out and they drafted Quentin Nelson, top 10 pick. They took Braden Smith in the second round. Both of those guys won starting jobs. And that helped mix in the veterans and provide a good complementary balance on the offensive line. And they all of a sudden saw immediate rewards in year number one. You look at the Chargers. The Chargers, they didn't necessarily do it through the draft, Paul. They went through free agency, and it's worked out very well for them. They upgraded the center position. Mike Pouncey took over Spencer Long, who's now on the Giants. And then also, let's not forget, they went out and they got Russell Okun. And Russell Okun has been a solid Pro Bowl offensive lineman for the Chargers over the last two seasons. So that's another route that you can go to address your offensive line. Dallas, we know, has built it through the draft. I think that's been well documented. And then you look at the Eagles, which won the Super Bowl the previous year. Philadelphia also has done a mix and a match of a variety of players. I think what's helped out Philadelphia is their depth. They got, for example... Wichniewski in free agency and he actually turned out to be a key offensive lineman last year because of all the injuries that they suffered. This year a little bit healthier and you look at the job Lane Johnson and Jason Peters has done at the tackle position, two guys who are veterans, stability. That's the big theme, Paul. Teams that have their offensive lines, their houses in order, as I like to call it, it's no surprise that that was showcased all throughout the NFL, and it helped those teams get through to to the playoffs. And here's the other thing that I want to point out, Paul, Mm -hmm. with respect to the offensive line. You hear the cliche all the time, iron sharpens iron. And it's convenient to hear that, but here's why there's validity behind it. It's no surprise that all four of the teams that won this past weekend also have strong defensive lines. Well, why do they have strong defensive lines? Yes, they clearly have the personnel. But those defensive lines, Paul, went up against those strong offensive lines during the course of training camp. So who are they practicing against? They're practicing against top-tier offensive linemen, which helps them then get set for what they're going to see during the course of the regular season. Iron sharpens iron. And I think that's another theme that we saw coming out of this weekend.
1: Yeah, there's no question. And, and, you know, it boggles the mind how many folks still don't seem to believe that. But just look at the teams that not only won over this weekend – but continue to play onward. Uh, For example, the teams that are waiting for those teams all have done a solid job in the trenches. I mean, this is not a coincidence, okay? It never has been and never will be. Now, I get the fact that the quarterback, by most accounts, is the most important position in pro sports, the most difficult position to learn, and the one that probably faces more pressure than anybody else. I totally understand that. But think about this for a second. If that's true, why wouldn't you put a top priority on making sure that that guy has the time and the health to get his job done? Yeah, you want to invest in <laughs> the guys that are going to protect him. I, I think that's football 101, <laughs> Paul. I, I didn't mean, disagree with you.
0: You know? Uh, anyway. Well, I think that's also why the Colts, which is the perfect example of what you're laying out, they got to the point where, first of all, we want Andrew Luck to get back to full health, which yes. he did, right? After multiple shoulder procedures, and then they got to the point, okay, well, we don't want him to go down again. We've got to make sure we bring in the horses that can be able to protect him.
1: Three number one picks, a number two, and a number four by Seattle that they claimed off waivers to put in at right guard. Think about that for a second. Three ones, a two, and a four are the five guys on the Colts' offensive line.
0: Costanzo, Nelson, and Kelly are your ones. Mm-hmm. Braden Smith is your 2 mm-hmm. And then they also, remember, they also had Matt Slauson who got hurt at the beginning of the season, too. So, you know, they had some depth there. They were able to luckily mix and match. But your point is well taken, Paul. Over the last few seasons, they've prioritized the offensive line through the draft. And the Colts are no different, Paul, than the Cowboys. The Cowboys progressively built up their offensive line also by every first-round pick saying, hey, one year we're going to take a center, another year we're going to take a guard, then we're going to take a tackle. And they fortunately have kept those guys healthy and have invested in them since.
1: I'm going to shift an old baseball movie phrase around and say if you build it you will win (laughs) (laughs) yes I think we've heard that phrase uh,
0: a few times with respect to what you're referring to and once again this is not coincidental evidence that you just happen to have one good year with your offensive line and all of a sudden you went to the playoffs we're seeing it pretty much with every single team and that's what you need to have in order you need to be able to get after the quarterback You need to be able to stop the run. You do that through your defensive line, and then on the flip side, you have to be able to run block, and you have to be able to pass protect, and all of those teams, for the most part, listen, there are some weaknesses still for some of these playoff teams. Let's not kid ourselves, but they all took care of business consistently for four quarters, and that's why they're moving on. And
1: to kind of turn this back to the Giants for a second, that's why it's great when you hear Dave Gettleman take over this club at the end of last season, and then tell everybody going into the first off-season of his tenure, that I am going to take care of the hog mollies. We are going to build both sides of the line. OK, he gets it. OK, he's an old school guy. He gets it. He knows what works. This, of course, that has happened over the last weekend that we've just discussed is of no surprise to him. He has told everybody that's what I want to get to. And what did he do? He went and he got Solder, and he went and he got Hernandez, and he went and he claimed Jamon Brown, and he went and he claimed Spencer Pulley. Made five changes to the starting offensive line at the start of the season. Aggressively attacking a weak spot on this team, understanding that it's got to start there. He will continue to attack, as he just told us last week. You must continuously upgrade the lines. He went out and... They made sure they got B.J. Hill. They drafted McIntosh, although he was IR for most of the year or not available with the the ailment. Um, Went and signed a guy like Morrow. Um, Continues to talk about how he is going to fortify that defensive line. Yeah, you know, he traded Snacks Harrison, but again, for a lot of reasons. He knows what he's got to do, and he will do it. And so you should feel very good about what you saw in these playoff games because this is the kind of style and the kind of winning football that Dave Gettleman is trying to build here. He's on the right track, folks. I can't wait to see what he does this
0: offseason. Well, and the other thing related to what you just brought up, he said at his press conference last week that he also would not shy away from, as he did in Carolina, Paul, where if he takes a defensive lineman in the first round and then he sees another great defensive lineman in the second round, he's not going to shy away from doing that. Because you can never have enough depth. That's the other key. Where you look at some of these playoff teams, they've lost players. We just talked about the Colts. The Colts I mentioned, they've lost starters on the offensive line. But the reason why there was not a significant drop-off is they had enough on their bench to say, hey, we can move guys around and we can take care of business. Here's another example. The Eagles, if you remember, Derek Barnett, their first-round pick from sure. a few years ago. Dynamic pass rusher. Sure. He's gone for the season. Still managed to win five of their final six games, and make the playoffs. Why? Because Jim Schwartz, their defensive coordinator, has a variety of defensive linemen that he's able to mix and match. So it's not just the starters. And that's what I thought Dave Gentleman emphasized in his season-ending press conference. You can't just say to yourself, you got the five offensive linemen and you're set. You've got to say, well, we need that sixth and that seventh guy because we're going to wind up losing somebody. And I'm even echoing what he said. He even said, you got to account for injuries. You can't Mm -hmm. go into a season thinking your starters are going to be able to be on the field for all 16 games. So that, I think, is another point of emphasis for Dave Gettleman this offseason. It's not so much about upgrading who you have laid out as your 11 starters on both sides, but also how can we continue to boost the depth chart? That's big as well. In
1: some cases, you could argue that the Giants had some guys starting this year who actually would be terrific backups. So if you can upgrade... The starting spot, you actually upgrade two spots because you upgrade the backup spot if that guy slides back one.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I think you can take that into consideration even with some of these special teams players that thrived in some starting roles as a result of injuries. But even if they return to their backup roles, you know you have versatility. For example, I would argue, Paul, and we'll get to your phone calls here in a second, two of the most valuable players on the roster this year were special teams players or guys that were brought in because of their special teams value. Russell Shepard, what he was able to do before he got hurt, I thought, listen, even though his numbers were not amazing as a receiver, he made some plays, caught two touchdowns, Mm -hmm. made some plays, and also I thought made a number of big game-changing plays on special teams because of his hustle as a gunner. And then the other guy I think is Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, because of his versatility, corner, safety, special teams guy. Also, you knew you at least had somebody experienced who you can put in to a starting job in case you lose a starter like a Landon Collins or somebody else. So those guys, you know, they're always willing to accept whatever role you assign. And if you bring in more depth, you can mix them, match them, move them around. You know, those to me are valuable commodities on your team.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about Michael Thomas, and you were all over him during the offseason last year. You thought he would have a real chance to win a starting job. I think most of us thought, okay, special teams demon, and maybe just leave it at that. So it turned out, they needed him Absolutely. in the regular defense,
0: and I think he performed fairly well. I'm with you. So that's why those are the types of players that you know I think ten, tend to be overlooked, Paul. Because you figure, all right, you know, he's a special teams guy. He's not going to see many starters, reps. But Shepard and Thomas, in particular, are two guys that Gettleman and coaching staff members had familiarity with. They brought them in, and I thought those turned out to be really wise investments. Two zero one nine three nine is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Focusing on the playoffs, the Giants off season ahead. Let's open up the lines. Joe is in Pennsylvania. He gets us going on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joe?
2: Oh oh ho. Oh. I don't know if I said happy New Years to you two guys, but happy New Years. Well, happy belated um, to you too, as well. Joe. Yep. Uh um I first I just wanna start and say here You. you know, we're they're saying our division was the weakest division. If you take that poll now, it might be a little different because I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas would go into New Orleans and if the Eagles would win next week again. I mean they're gonna they're gonna both of them teams gonna take it down to the end. So, you know, uh, you know
1: what, Joe? I'm gonna stop you there for a second because I was one of the guys who said that the NFC East shouldn't even get a playoff team. That's how bad this occasions. division. Yes, that's how bad yes. this division was during the course of the season. But once again, this also proves another age old axiom: the teams who get hot at the right time, the ones who peak in December, are the ones who have the best chance to make waves in the playoffs. And I don't think there's any question that both Dallas and Philadelphia have gotten hot at the right time. Right, now,
2: but they they always did have defense and could run the ball
1: to Offensive lines, Absolutely. right, right, Joe? Well, offensive I, lines, both right. teams, and that's right. what we just right. went over.
0: I think the other thing you have to take into consideration, Joe, and it's funny because somebody posed the exact same question that you posed on Twitter to me last night, and my response was, and this relates to what Paul brought up, the Cowboys, I would say they peaked even before December. They went 7-1 in the second half of the season, so they had a really good, strong second half. The Eagles won five of their last six. I think if you go back and you look at this division as a whole, everyone got off to a slow start. That's what happened, and then
2: except Washington. What Washington? You're right, Washington. Injuries, but but then Washington
0: faded. See, Washington wasn't necessarily a bad team. Washington got down to its fourth quarterback and lost <laughs> right. so many offensive linemen. I mean, right. they lost two starting guards. Their backups. Right. They were on third right. string guards. Hard to win under those circumstances.
2: Uh, right, I understand it. I, I'm just saying, you know, our, you know, and it, it shows the Giants because you know we're playing these teams. We played the Bears. We we seen what they're. We just didn't. They didn't have their quarterback, but we went against their defense. So here's my question to you guys here now, because I, uh, you know, I I I hear all the Philadelphia talk with the Eagles too, and I know now their question's gonna be too. Uh, no matter how far, if they end up right now, what are they going to do with Winston and uh, Nick, their quarterback there? And one of them they're going to sign, you know. Would you have an opinion on one of them? And if one of them was uh, let go to sign for the Giants, because I got the impression on their Gettleman that he, talking to Eli, there was no definite, but he's going to play out, watch out, and he's going to look at the veteran quarterbacks that are out there and he's going to look through the draft i got that opinion you know and that's the way it was left there so i was just wondering what your guys were opinions if if you because the eagles themselves are going to have to make that opinion do they want to sign Wentz? he has all his talent and everything but he keeps getting a, her, but well, then when Joe. They bring in Joe, Nick, let, let me let me he,
0: jump he, let me let me jump in here real quick. First of all, I've heard a lot of people saying that the Eagles have to make a decision about Carson Wentz. First of all, Wentz was a first round pick in 2016. Mm-hmm. So that means that Wentz is now three years into his contract. He still has the fourth year of his rookie contract, right. and they could pick up the fifth year option. He's here. not going anywhere. So they don't—they don't have a tough decision. The Eagles to make this offseason. He's still yes, on the rookie yes, deal. they do because How? if
2: they let what's his name go, then they, they would. First be... of all,
0: well, first of all, keep in mind, Nick Foles. They were in the same situation last year. Wentz got hurt. He had mm-hmm. a far more serious injury, mm-hmm. towards his ACL, and they went to Foles and said, Nick, okay. if you're comfortable, we'll give you a deal. We'll give you some incentives, and Nick made the right decision. Decision, in my opinion because he knew there's no guarantee Wentz is right. going to be ready to start the season and let's, also Foles knows he knows that system because I, him and Peterson were together in Kansas City so he I, knows that if he leaves that system there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to well, duplicate well, that same well, yeah, I'm, well, not, I'm just, not
1: so sure he wants out of there yeah,
0: well that, and yeah. that's my point well, <laughs> just just let me
2: say this to you Lance because this is what because I, I, I hear all the talk their decision is now, do they want to put out the money and sign uh, Nick, or do they want to trade Wins and get three, four number ones for him? Yes, that choice is theirs. Believe me, and they're going to make that decision. They, they have that decision to make. And if I was the general manager of the Eagles, too, I would be looking at that because they are winning with, with uh, Nick there. And the other guy is getting hurt. Well, I don't think. They could get three, four first round draft picks. So that is a decision they're going to make, you know, and have to make, too. First
0: of all, if you take into consideration Carson Wentz, torn ACL, now a lingering back injury, I'm not so sure that everybody's going to be banging down the door and giving them multiple draft picks for a guy that's been Uh, hurt each of the last two seasons. I don't know,
2: but he has a lot of talent. He does. I'm not going to disagree with you
0: but but you're you're i mean i think people who are bringing up that conversation are just of the assumption that the market is so overwhelming for Carson Wentz that they can easily get as many draft you picks know, as I, they want and i don't necessarily I'm, I'm think just that's the case looking
2: at the giants point of view I, like i said i don't know and what Gettleman and them i i know they they know the eagles well you know what i mean they're uh, our coach does well, you know, because he's from there and he knows them guys. And I was just wondering, too, if that would be there, you know, on their veteran list, if they'd like him or they'd like the guy from uh, the quarterback that's with the Saints. You're talking about Teddy so Bridgewater. are going to make them decisions. So Joe, I think I can all. make it
1: easy for you. Uh, Eli Manning's starting for this team in 2019, and, and what you basically heard Gittleman talk about was the fact that they've got to go through the process, and and basically that that's it. They've got to go through the process. I think pretty much he understands exactly what he's going to do. I think Eli knows what he wants to do. I think they want him. He wants yeah. to be here. And they just have to find the right contractual yeah. mechanism uh-huh. to make that happen. So the odds of Eli not being here are very, very, very long well, to begin with. Well, Paul, so it's it's a I, pointless I, conversation. Well, we, were, we were all wrong about our backup quarterback
2: last year, and we were saying he's definitely going to be here and he's the our apparent. You know, I wouldn't put nothing to pass Gettleman and them, you know what Until I
0: mean? Until it's because done, it's not he,
1: done. I understand yeah, that.
0: And I don't think it's Joe. I don't think you're crazy to think that he may look at what the free agent market is offering. But, but I think that, once again, if you're Nick Foles... And based on the fact that you've had a great deal of success in Philadelphia and the fact that now Wentz is somewhat of an injury, question mark, I don't know if the Eagles are going to be so quick to let him walk. That's my point. <laughs> well, I, they, I think the Eagles gonna, are going to have they, a serious conversation with him. So, so we but don't they, even know they, if he'll hit the free agent market. They, they, they
2: can't afford to to, to, uh, to keep them both. Uh, you well, know, but I just told both, you, but they, they afforded. I, I mean, but Nick Joe, Joe, hold on, nothing. Joe,
0: Joe, hold on. They afforded both of them. This past offseason. They re-signed yes, Nick Foles. But he was underneath a two year contract already uh,
2: Nick, and he stayed there. And once They, is, is they has restructured. One more year. I understand it. Yeah. That.
0: So so they can so if they did it last off season and they go to Nick Foles and Nick, do you wanna stay? We want you back. These are the parameters. We'll give you some incentives if you become the starter, you get to the playoffs who's to say that he would turn down something oh, similar. Oh, I'm not that's saying my point. That.
2: But but his but his big money would be on the on the Oprah market or yeah, but signed for some million. Well, but you at least a million is is at the very least that he should be getting. He's not making
0: anything near that. No, now. he's not making that now because he wasn't coming into the season as a right. starter for 16 games. Right. But well, you're also but but, but but Joe I, Joe, you're also I understand looking at this that. I Joe understand Joe, that. you're I'm looking just at this.
2: Are decision. I would really like to keep Eli and have a young quarterback to groom. Okay, but like I said, that's probably. I don't good going to happen. Gonna Joe, that. Joe, that's, that's probably going to happen.
1: Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah, that's probably okay, going to happen. Thank you. Don't Happy got... New Year. You too. too. You too. Don't stress out, Joe. That's in all likelihood what's going to happen. I mean, the odds of it not happening are a million to one.
0: Every time people look at free agents, they're always looking at it through the lens of the team. Nobody ever looks at it through the lens of, of the, the player. player. <laughs> so, so, and, and that's what I want. And I am not. I understand what, what Joe is hearing in the speculation out in Philadelphia, whatever it may be. But when you say Foles can get $20 million on the open market, yeah, probably somebody would be willing to do that. Do we know that Foles wants to leave Philadelphia? Do we know that he says to himself at this point in his career, and Foles has been around the block. He's been on a few teams. He may say to himself, I'm comfortable in Philadelphia, Paul. I am a product of a strong system that I have familiarity with going back to my days in Kansas City, as I mentioned. Foles was with Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson in Kansas City. That's why Peterson brought him to Philadelphia, because he said, I want to have a veteran quarterback who in the event Wentz gets hurt, Paul, knows the system. It's the same philosophy, by the way, that Pat Shermer adopted when he said the reason why Alex Tanney was the backup for the majority of the season and dressing was because he said – Tiny could come in in a pinch without many reps during the course of the week of practice, and he can run this offense, whereas it's tough for a rookie to do that, Paul. Yes. So that was the same mindset that Philadelphia had. So I'm not saying that Foles is a lock to stay in Philadelphia, but I don't think you could completely dismiss the fact that he may be comfortable there, and he may not want to test the market because he may say to himself, why ruin a good thing where I may continue to start if Wentz is not back to full health?
1: And he, made, he also made $20 million this year. So it's well, not like he's hurting for, for, It's
0: not <laughs> like he's hurting for groceries. Yeah, so I, I think you got to look at it from that perspective now, Paul, in, in bringing it back to the Giants here, is it crazy? Listen, I, I know where you're coming from, and just because Gettleman didn't come out and 100 percent say, "Hey, Eli's our quarterback right now, I think he clearly, like anything else, it's a fluid situation in the NFL. Why make? declarations when things can change. Not to say that Eli's not coming back, but I think there's conversations that are going to continue to be had from both sides. From Eli's perspective, from the team perspective, Mm -hmm. and they'll continue to hash that out over the upcoming weeks. But at the same time, I don't think that it's crazy to think that maybe Gettleman in the front office is at least looking at hey, this guy potentially could be a free agent, what do we think of him? This guy could potentially be a free agent, what do we think of him? Even while they're working things out with Eli
1: Manning. Well, you know, I understand the, the name thrown uh Of Foles because of his connection to Pat Shermer in Philadelphia, yeah. and also Teddy Bridgewater, who had a connection to Shermer in Minnesota. Two guys. So those those are the two guys who are going to enter unrestricted free agency, who Coach Shermer has already had a background with. So so that's the reason why those names are constantly being thrown up in the stories. Okay, th- there's a logical connection there. All right, that's not made up. They did work together in previous locations. But again, in my opinion, and, and I'm, I'm giving that to you straight, uh, Gettleman is simply doing his due diligence. He's not going to promise anybody anything on, on his entire roster. And he was very clear about that. He was not going to talk about any player's status on his entire roster until he talked to his position coaches, which he finally finished that on Friday, or at least he was supposed to have done. And then he was going to look at his tape. And then after that, he'd be much more free to speak about the status of a particular player. But that's not now. And he would be doing an injustice to the players, to the coaches, and himself if he came out 100% and definitively said, this is what's happening to this particular player on the roster. He was simply not going to do that because he's a methodical guy who's going to go through the process and do his due diligence. Obviously, he's got a very good feeling for what he might want to do. But he's going to wait until he dots all the I's and crosses all the T's.
0: That's it. We want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Phil is in North Carolina. Phil, welcome to the program. What do you have for us?
3: Yes, Happy New Year. Same to you. You um, too. So, yeah, so, I I have talked several times about my draft philosophy of, and uh, in terms of not picking uh not in favor of picking running backs and tight ends and and all these skilled positions high all the time, uh, and taking taking linemen. All those years that we were picking wide receivers and and even I would even put cornerbacks into this uh, realm uh, and things those type of positions. And the Eagles were taking defensive linemen and offensive linemen, and I think we we see the we see the result. Um, You know, it's just too too hard to find these talented big men. And and that's got to be the emphasis. So I'm I'm glad that uh, we're migrating in that
1: direction. Sure.
0: Well, I think you also need to take into consideration, and and I completely understand your point, Phil, but you don't just pick an offensive lineman because you're picking high simply because other playoff teams have been doing it. The guy's got to match the value of the pick you got to feel as if we bring in Quentin Nelson. We think legitimately year one, we're going to get an instantaneous reward. Right. There may be a year where the class is down. The group of offensive linemen is just not as impressive as previous well, years. His
1: point is you have to have a general philosophy, football 101, if you will, as to what the blueprint's going to be to build a successful team. Of course, there are extenuating circumstances, and there will be exceptions like there were with Saquon Barkley this year. You had to draft Saquon Barkley because that's the guy who's got the Hall of Fame jacket sitting in his closet waiting to be worn. And I get that. And, and you know, because honestly, I'm not a big fan of taking a running back that high either. But this guy was so, so incredibly special. You make an exception every once in a while because of the status of where your team is and maybe that particular player and also the slot which you're picking out as well. And then also what's available. I mean, there are a lot of factors that can kind of tweak the blueprint just a little bit.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's just been too many years as an old Giant fan that you know we've taken people like you know going back Tucker Fredrickson and and. Uh, and 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 so forth, and and uh, Ron Dane, and and even um, David Wilson, you know, and we just haven't gotten enough value out of those guys.
0: Well, but um, at the at the same time, Phil, and I'll let you continue. What I was getting at was at the same time, though, they drafted Eric Flowers one year, so that's going in the direction of your yeah, point, going after the big so guys, well, and it? it didn't work out. No. So see, that's what I'm saying. Is I agree with your philosophy, and I think. You have to prioritize the trenches. But what I'm saying is the player has to be worth taking at that pick. You don't just take the player simply because he plays the position of importance. Well, the the other
1: important. overriding motto yeah. is never force the pick.
0: Yeah, exactly. Never reach on a person just because you are enamored by the position. Yeah, because no, yeah, then yeah.
3: You, you have the Eric Flowers and you have the William Josephs of oh, the world and, uh, Oh, you had to go so there.
1: One. You had to yeah. go there. So, the Cedric Joneses of the world.
3: Yeah. So okay. So my one one thing, my next thing is, and then um, now listen, uh, is you know there was four players on defense that I felt could have helped us, and the replacement players I felt were inferior, and um, and those guys were um, you know uh, for their value. As, uh, Devon Kennard? I've talked about Devon Kennard all year, and um, Romeo Cara had a, had a good year. In and, uh, you know, Andrew Adams, you know, even though I know he's a strong safety, I, I got to feel that if you stuck him at free safety, he would have been better than what we had. And, uh, and, and then uh, Moss, Moss was the other guy. Uh, you know, I, we, we somehow didn't uh, find he had, you know, we didn't give him a chance, basically. I felt that he, Avery Moss had some potential offside. So, sort it so the only thing i could think of is uh, th- uh, those were those guys problem guys in the locker cuz All
1: right, well i think the replacement guys we got were inferior talent wise. I'll dress each one of those with you. I believe they thought that signing Michael Thomas would be better all better than, than than Andrew Adams because both of them were strong safety types who were both special teams guys. And i think that they they if they really wanted to keep Andrew Adams, my hunch is they probably wouldn't have signed Michael Thomas. But they wanted Thomas, especially because he was supposedly a great locker room guy, and, and they wanted upgrade there. And so I think that was the trade-off. So if you're going to compare Andrew Adams to Michael Thomas, oh, that's, you know, you can argue that one all you want, but I think Michael Thomas was probably a better pick there. Um, in terms of Devon Kennard, Devon Kennard was up for unrestricted free agency. If you look at his snap availability for the Giants. An injury-played career his entire time here. For some strange reason, he played over 90% of the snaps, I think, with Detroit this season. Suddenly he became (laughs) healthy. But here's the problem. If you're making a financial commitment to a guy for his second contract and to this point in time when you're trying to do the deal, he has not shown an ability to stay on the field, you can't pay him that kind of money. You allow somebody else to open up their vaults and say, hey, good luck. If he can play all the snaps for you, enjoy. So yeah, that's a prudent and smart decision. The other problem is with Aquara. Aquara, if you go back and you watch the tapes of the Lions, he was getting his sacks and his quarterback hits playing down with his hand in the dirt in a 4-3 formation. With the Giants, they were standing him up a bunch during the training camp. They were saying, okay, you're going to be an outside linebacker for us and you're not going to be in the dirt very much. Well, guess what? That's not his best usage. So given Betcher's scheme, they thought they were better off not holding on to a player who was a better prototype 4-3 defensive end. I can't argue that. I was a big Warrior Unrecqueror fan. I wish they had kept him. I wish he had been playing a down 4-3 defensive end. But that's not the scheme that Betcher wanted to run. So because he didn't fit the scheme well, they allowed him to go. And so as far as Moss, I think Moss had a lot of raw tools. I think that as you watched him in training camp, he tended to go back to the same move time after time after time. And in the NFL, you have to develop a plethora of moves if you're going to crack the lineup. Because if you only have one, chances are, They've seen it on tape, and they will neutralize you. I think what must have happened with Moss, because I liked him. I thought he had a lot of potential, and I thought he had tools that could be developed. He must not have developed the plethora of moves that they thought he needed at this level. And that's probably why he did not get activated. And I'm guessing on that, because I've talked to Moss several times during the season, and I told him, I'm not sure why you're not coming up, but uh, it's nice that they still have you around. Bottom line was, they must not have seen what they needed to see. Yeah,
0: because he's been on the practice squad after not making the 53 the I hope project. that
1: explains it for you.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's
3: good insight. Um, and, you know, Carl, I, I guess I kind of take the feel. You know, sometimes the player may not always fit the scheme exactly, but I, if a player's talented, you've got to... You know, you got to sometimes find a way to get him on the field. So that would be my only comment about a, a call. Understood. And, and, but Kennard, I can, I can see, you know, I can see you can, you can make the injury card issue. So, so I tend to agree with you on that. But uh, hey, good. Thanks, guys, for talking. I appreciate
1: it. Yeah, you okay. got it, Phil. Appreciate the
0: phone call. Devon Kennard. During his first few seasons with the Giants, 14 and 15, he played 12 games and 9 games respectively. Then he finally played all 16 in 2016, and then he played 15 in 2017. So he started to show that he could stay on the field in his last two years of his rookie contract. But yes, being plagued by injuries was something that held him back. And then here's the other thing that we didn't bring up that you have to take into consideration to the last caller's point. Even though you can argue they were on the Giants roster and you would have liked to have seen them be kept around, but they were under Jerry Reese and they were under Ben McAdoo and under Steve Spagnuolo. So now Pat Shermer comes in, he has his opinion of these players. James Betcher comes in, he has his opinion of these players. Dave Gettleman comes in. He has his opinion of these players. You now have three different voices evaluating players that were not here during their previous tenures with the Giants. And they don't necessarily share the same philosophies and ideas as the previous coaching staff and previous front office members. So you have to take that into consideration. If it's a carryover of the same coaching staff, then maybe I think you wonder, well, why did you keep them around for those four or five years and now decide to get rid of them? Then I think perhaps that's a fair question. When you have new voices making decisions, to me it's understandable that they don't necessarily look at those players the same way as the previous people. Well,
1: did. that's also part of the equation, but now you look at Kennard and and he played over eighty seven percent of the snaps for the Lions this year. His durability was not an issue at all. He was able to give them a healthy amount. By the way, Kennard and, and O'Quara both guys I like very much. And and it has to be said, their production in the second half of the season went way down. They started very well, and in the last eight games, if you'll look at their their stat totals, they did take a significant uh, drop-off, both yes. players, unfortunately for them, because I do like both guys. Um, but And also understand this, too. More so for Kennard, not for Aquara. Kinnard got a healthy chunk of change to go to Detroit. And the Giants did not have a ton of salary cap room. So when you combine the kind of number he got to go to the bank with and his lack of durability in their minds, that doesn't bode well for for bringing a guy back.
0: Devon Kennard had seven sacks this season. He had five of those seven sacks in the first five games of the season.
1: That's kind of what I just told you.
0: Two sacks in the last 11. Just two put things in perspective because you know what happens, Paul. People look at stat lines right. and it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Well he and
1: Romeo both had, I think, seven or seven what? and a half, and they combined... were the top two for the Lions, right? And w- and what was Romeo's breakdown do Romeo you have? Romeo
0: had seven and a half sacks. They combined for fourteen and a half sacks and, and, this
1: season. And O'Quara's breakdown first half and second half?
0: Well I just went over canard let me bring up now O'Quara, O'Quara. to see his breakdown. Look at O'Quara's in terms of his sack total. And I and I know and he started out very brown.
1: well and then suddenly it started to fall okay,
0: off. Okay, so Aquara had five of his seven and a half sacks in the first six games of the season. Mm-hmm. And then you take it into consideration, he had two and a half sacks in well over the second half of the season. So you're. Again, well taken. I'm
1: not trying to diss those no, guys, but, it just puts things in perspective. but you have to make sure you understand exactly what the deal was.
0: Yeah, they both got off to really strong starts, and they didn't necessarily. And then faded carry that over throughout the course of the year. And both of the guys were relatively healthy. Now, O'Quara, perhaps when he first joined the Lions, they started to utilize him. Defenses didn't see him within this scheme, took advantage of it. Then, like anything else, you see a guy on film, Paul you tend to pick up his tendencies, and you can make the necessary adjustments. I'm not saying that that was exactly what transpired, but perhaps that's something that comes to mind. By
1: the way, O'Quara played in over 72% of the Lions' defensive snaps this year. Again, hand in the dirt, 4-3 defensive end. Different scheme.
0: Well, there's a reason why, A, the Lions gave Kennard that money, they saw him as in every down I'm talking about player. O'Quara. No, no, but I'm bringing up because oh, yes. you said Kennard. He played a lot of snaps too. And then the same thing. Stayed, stayed healthy. The Lions claimed O'Quara off of waivers. They claimed him because they felt like they wanted to use him. Well, and, they
1: saw him in the dual practice sessions during the summer when they played the Giants that's a good point. in those common practices. And they must have said, hey, you know what? We really need a 4-3 defensive end. This guy looks like he can fit the bill. They're not using him that way, but oh, wow, he got cut. We can use him that way.
0: Well, it was a Giants reunion in Detroit because then Snacks wound up joining the two of them later on in the season. And it doesn't surprise many that, as you mentioned, Matt Patricia, the coaching staff, the scouting department, saw the Giants up close and personal for a good week Mm -hmm. during the course of training camp. So not only were they monitoring their own players, they were monitoring the Giants roster. And I'm sure that was a big part of of the conversation. So, you know, those are a variety of things that I think you have to look at when you evaluate, well, why did a player thrive in those other circumstances? And were those numbers something that carried out over the course of 16 games? Was it something that peaked early in the season? So I hope that that at least perhaps answered the question with respect to why the Giants moved on from those players and why perhaps they made some noise elsewhere. But there is a common theme that I think we've seen in previous years, Paul, when players have moved on from the Giants, it is very rare, in fairness, that you've seen them hang on with another team and consistently produce. That is very rare. We have not seen that happen more often than not.
1: No, not at all. Uh, the, the track record of, of the um, the Giants, or former Giants, I guess is the proper term, the track record of former Giants is that they usually have not done very well, if they've even hooked up with another team, at least over the last decade or so.
0: But this this subject does bring up the bigger point here, and Dave Gettleman addressed it in his end-of-the-season press conference that one of the other things, in addition to the unknown of the quarterback position right now and trying to tweak the offensive line, is he realized that they do need to address the defense this offseason, Paul whether it be pass rushers, whether it be more depth in the secondary. I mean, this was a defense that was on the field a few times during the course of the season, had an opportunity to make a stop, did not come through. Mm -hmm. This was also a defense that finished tied for 30th in total sacks. This was a defense that had trouble getting off the field on third down. And in fairness, it was a defense that was being tweaked and turned into what James Betcher wanted to showcase, which was a completely different scheme. But I think the Giants realized this offseason, if there's one area of the team that you want to bring in some more beef it goes without saying well, it's the defensive side of the ball.
1: Dave Gettleman only made a couple of comments in terms of the personnel on his roster last week. And it was fair to say this because he was not isolating any individual players. He simply said, we will always look to improve both sides of the line, the, the trenches. And it's clear we got to get more playmakers on defense. He felt very comfortable saying that stuff because those things were very, very obvious. He did not need any tape study to confirm his suspicions.
0: Yeah, I think that <laughs> clearly the statistics. And by him bringing up also how many close games the Giants played, that was one of the things he referenced. Sure. At 12 games decided by 7 points or less, you go 4-8 and eight in those games, and... Number of them, as I just referenced, you had your defense on the field at the very end. And whether it be a game-winning field goal, a game-tying field goal to the overtime, whatever it may be, there were a number of circumstances where the defense did not come through. There were, though, two examples in fairness where you had the San Francisco game. The defense was on the field late. They made the necessary stop. And then the Tampa Bay game where you had the late interception where Jameis Winston was trying to march them down the field. So the defense did make plays, but... They needed more from that group.
1: And they somehow held on against Houston, too.
0: Houston's (laughs) another example.
1: When the the Sean Watson started to carve them up in the second half, and it just wasn't enough. But, of course, some of those scores are skewed because of a late score as well by the Giants that made it closer than maybe what what the game kind of felt like. But, look, it's very fair to look at this team and say they were a work in progress. They have clearly gotten better in most areas, and certainly in the culture area that so many people like to use that term. Culture, yeah, they've gotten a lot better in that regard. And that's maybe the biggest one of all because it's hard to get better in everything else if you don't have the proper mindset and the winning habits that good teams always show. And I think, really, when you look at what Dave Gettleman has done, that was the big hurdle that he had to clear. And I think he's probably, I won't say probably, it, it certainly sounded like, Uh, the other day when he talked to us he said we turned the corner there that that big hurdle has been cleared
0: well one of the first things that he brought up relating to what you brought up with respect to people were questioning the culture of this team at the tail end of last year Paul they were also questioning the competitive nature of this team remember Mm -hmm. and as you look at if I said 12 games were decided by seven points or less With the exception of the Eagles game, as I'm bringing up the schedule from this past season, being really the only true lopsided game that went in favor of the Giants opponent, you never really could point to a game where you were like, you know what, this team checked out in the fourth quarter. Those guys didn't look like they wanted to play. I didn't get that feel at all throughout the season and even in the Eagles game you did it because if you remember in that Eagles game Paul Saquon Barkley had one of his best performances in that game mm-hmm. he ran wild I'm talking about the first matchup with the Eagles I'm not talking about the second one coincidentally he had a good game in the second game as he well <laughs> but the, the first game he was finding chunks of space here they he had that big 55 yard run off a screenplay where he ran all the way from the right side to the left side and then back I mean, he was making constant plays, so the Giants were fighting in that game. It just—the Eagles jumped out in front so much and then padded out their lead. But you didn't get the sense at all that this team checked out at any point this
1: They season. simply didn't have enough of good players.
0: That's it. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. The they gotta, fact that— got to get more. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they've got an offseason to do it. And that's exactly what <laughs> Dave Gettleman is set
0: out to do this offseason because you know— Everybody on your roster is not going to stay fully healthy. You have to prepare for injuries to come up. Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Russell is in Missouri. Russell, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us?
4: Hey, what's going on? It's been a minute since I called y'all. Hi. Um, when I watched that Bears game yesterday, all I kept saying is, hey, we did a side <laughs> These kickers these year have not – this has not been a good year for kickers. It has not been a good year for kickers. There's a couple of things I want to get across. Um, when I watched that Dave Gentleman interview, I said to myself, this is second year the Giants didn't make the playoffs. I know y'all about to hate me when I'm saying this, but it's time for Eli Man to go. Second year, we can't blame Dave Gellerman. We can't blame Pat Schumer. The only person still left is Eli Manning. He doesn't have it anymore. Now, I know he said he played good at the end of the year, but that's because of Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is that good. But when it comes, if you take Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham out, Eli hasn't been playing good.
0: It's the truth. I mean, well, but in in fairness, though, Russell... If you take away Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham from most quarterbacks, you show me quarterbacks that are going to be able to put up unbelievable numbers. I mean, You're now removing his top two weapons. If you take away the top two weapons for any quarterback, I think you're going to put that quarterback in a precarious spot.
1: See, oh, I guess oh, uh, I guess my biggest problem with the logic, and I think it's very flawed, the one that you present, and I and I, I still can't imagine why people continue to, 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 to sort, throw this out there. If you fix your offensive line, okay, and you've got the running game, and, and that that you've got with Saquon Barkley, and you've got the potential weapons on the outside in the passing game, isn't that really good news then for whoever the next quarterback's gonna be another year or two down the road? Because would you rather be a rookie quarterback like Sam Darnold that does not have? The plethora of weapons, the Jets don't have a plethora of weapons on the outside. Their offensive line is not very good, and their running game is not spectacular. So exactly what good did that do Sam Donald? You see, I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense. You build the line, you got the running back, you got the skill position guys on the outside. So it, it makes perfect sense to address that because the next QB is going to be the beneficiary of that stuff. I mean, so how, we, how, how, how is this hard? How is this hard? I don't get it. That's what I'm saying. When are we going to get the next QB? you get them in I'm another saying. year or two. You gonna to wait to
0: 2020 to get a QB? That's right. What we're going to well, there. you that's could
1: you you team. could get one in 19, and he's gonna sit behind Eli and learn, which is really like which is I a great idea.
0: I mean, or they could also bring in a free agent too. I wouldn't necessarily rule that out, and he could be presented a situation where you know you serve as the backup this year, and then perhaps you have an opportunity to become the starter the following year. I would not yeah, rule I'd that out that. as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I, well, agree I, with that. I, I think, Russell, and, and I listen, you're entitled to your opinion. And I'm not saying that I disagree that you have to start thinking about the future of sure, the quarterback position. Sure. I mean, Eli's no youngster, and Eli's not playing for another decade here. You don't have that luxury anymore. <laughs> you know, it's but,
1: funny, Russell, and I I, I I don't want to cut you short, but I want to mention this too. Everybody who 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 gets on my case for saying that that Eli is, is still the guy, they think automatically that I think Eli's the guy in 2030. OK, I don't think Eli Manning has 10 years left to his career. I'm not even sure that he's got more than one. He may only have 2019. His contract is up. There may not be another contract for him, but there also may be a 2020. There may even be. a Well, there may or may not be. I'm I'm willing to say that I don't know that. I'm telling you, I think he's got a 19 left in his in his body. There's no doubt in my mind he's got 19 left in his body. I don't know if he's got 20 or 21 left and anybody who does tell you that is a fortune teller because they don't have the facts we don't we don't have the the, the evidence <laughs> you just see what
4: Baltimore did when they left Jackson in the game. I understood what they did. They gave rid of Flacco. I mean, you got to move on
1: that circle. Oh, yeah. Flac- like, Flacco, if he doesn't demand out of there, I'd be very surprised well, after but, the way they treated him.
0: But, Russell, they drafted a quarterback in the first round in Lamar Jackson. So, when they made that investment, I think the writing was on the wall sure. that they were eventually going to move on to him. I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. W- you, let's not be mistaken here. The Giants have not taken a quarterback in the first round since Eli Manning has been here in the last few Davis Webb was a mid round pick and Kyle Aletta was a mid round pick. So Man. it's one thing to say if Davis Webb and Kyle Aletta were a first round pick, and you're like, Well, what's going on here? When are they eventually gonna let him flap his wings? I get that argument. Mid round picks, there's no guarantee that those guys are automatically yeah, gonna right, be successors. Right. I trust Dave
4: Gentleman gonna do the right thing. He's a football mind, he said card, his was good. I trust Dave, so I'm just saying i am just in my eyes, I'm looking at Eli. I'm like, hey, well, it's that man. If this year was not
0: it was not a good year. It was not a good year. Well, Russell, I, I, listen. I, I disagree with you about Eli Manning not having a good year. Was he the top quarterback in the NFL? No. I think though, statistically, he had a pretty good year. And I, I think you got to bring up the fact that. He had his highest completion percentage, and people are going to say, well, he was checked down Charlie. I completely disagree with you there, because I think he made some of the necessary throws down the field, as we saw late in the season. He had 21 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. I think you'll sign up for that, and you figure your team's going to be competitive, which they were. But let's not overlook the fact that, Russ, as Paul and I were talking about earlier, the defense has to improve, okay? You don't win games just with your quarterback, whether Eli's good, bad, or indifferent, you don't win games just because you're quarterback. We just went over the four playoff teams that won this weekend. It wasn't just because Andrew Luck put on a clinic. It was because of what that Colts defensive front did to Deshaun Watson. It wasn't Dak Prescott making plays. Zeke, the last time I checked, ran the ball. The defense got pressure on Russell Wilson. Nick Foles, was Nick Foles putting on an offensive clinic? The Eagles defensive front put some pressure on Mitchell Trubisky. They completely took away Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. And then you look at what the Chargers defense did to Lamar Jackson. What did that have to do with any of the four starting quarterbacks? I'm just saying how I look at football is Men lie, women lie, but your wicked don't.
4: That's how I look at it. And then the last person that's on this team is your quarterback. He's the one making $23 million next year or however it goes. He's making the money. So I'm like, okay, Eli, what are you doing? And what I'm saying, he can't throw the ball down to Odell Beckham. back. And I'm like, what are we doing out here? He throws an interception and in that coach game. where well, he could have thrown it to the right to say my ball because he was open. Eli, what are we doing? That's why you know, I said it's time for the quarterback.
1: Well, I think I think part of the reason, thank you for the yeah, call. For we're, call we're running out of time. Part of the, part of the thing that you've got to take into account is that they had a dysfunctional offensive line, three versions of it in the first 8 games of the year. And you know, I don't think it's fair to Joe X if he was the quarterback to say that, "Oh, okay, team was 1 and 7 in the first half of the year, offense did not do very well, and it's all on him." No, 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 no. no. When Joe X, whoever that quarterback is, had a functional offensive line over the last eight games of the season, the offense averaged nearly 30 points a game. That's much more of what you can expect in 2019 if there is a functional offensive line in front of quarterback Joe X. Let's not make this personal about Eli Manning. This is about Joe X playing quarterback. If he's got a functional offensive line, he's averaging about 30 points a game. I think I'd sign up for that for 16 games in 2019. At least I know I would. (laughs) And Maybe that's not enough for some of you folks out there, but I can't help that.
0: Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Neil in New York. Neil, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's on your mind? Hello, gentlemen.
5: Um, Kind of echoing what you were saying before, or Putting it in another way, when was the last time the defense won a game for the New York Giants? Not made a pick six and helped or this and that, where the defense actually slammed the door on somebody and we could win a game with 13 points. When did that happen last? Well, because I think you, I think. Right. Well,
0: Neil, I think you got to go back to the 2016 season. That would be my answer. When right. the defense was extremely respectable, the offense wasn't necessarily putting on clinic after clinic, and you did have a number of games where the defense was on the field, the defense made the stop, and they were able to seal some victories. Well, so Eli that's had probably the best one.
1: Eli had six fourth quarter or overtime game-winning drives, and in a number of those cases there was a fraction of the time left because the Giants didn't have a running game and a good four-minute offense, and so the defense had to finish up the job for him. And and well, obviously takes, they won 11 games and guy, made the right? playoffs.
0: Takes, yeah. you got to work hand-in-hand. Hand. 100%. You, you can't just have a lopsided team where you expect your quarterback to be the miracle worker, and that's why we just laid out all the four playoff teams that won. They've got balance. It's not a coincidence. Well, I mean, I'm not an ear. I apologist. I love the guy. But I see all the warts and the flaws. But
5: he is down the list in what needs to be fixed on this team. And every, I think that the, we can't rush a passer ever. I mean, come on. Was that a, a, a very weak pass rush all season long? And that is really why we beat Tom Brady twice. We kept knocking him down. Mm-hmm. We don't knock anybody down.
1: Yeah, and Dave Gettleman has said as much. Got to improve the pass rush.
0: Tied for 30th in sacks this season. You
1: know, if you're not controlling the trenches, and obviously the trenches involve two things on defense. It does involve stuffing the run first, which everybody always says, you got to make the other guy one-dimensional. Well, okay, here's the problem. What if you stuff the run and you make them one-dimensional to throw the ball, but then you can't get to the quarterback? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't help you much either, you, of course. You have to
5: But all these losses are when we We can't get – I mean, how many times have we seen a quarterback get seven seconds, you know, within the last minute of the game, to survey the field, look around. The secondary's trying to cover somebody. But, you know, we've lost a lot of games, like, through the attrition of, like, we can't cover it all
1: day. Do you remember that? Do you remember that game against Dallas? I think it was three or four years ago, where Romo had eight seconds. That was. Oh, the, I remember that. That was the at, game at, when he I touched down. To White. At, at MetLife Stadium, yeah, he had that. eight seconds. I believe is what they clocked it on television as he led the Cowboys to a come-from-behind victory. I mean, he literally could have had breakfast, lunch, <laughs> dinner, had a midnight snack. Yeah. All right, and then maybe he ordered out for his next morning's breakfast before anybody even got close to yeah, him. Yeah, that
0: game was right around Thanksgiving. He threw to Des Bryant in the back uh, of the end zone.
1: I mean, yeah. and and unfortunately, that's been too typical of the Giants' pass rush over the course of the last few years.
5: Well, we, we just need to, I mean, make the guy, at least make somebody uncomfortable back there when it's crunch time. Yeah, the days of Tuck, Strahan and Osi are gone. I think the <laughs> offense was actually, well, we know it was the best offense in the division, as far as points
0: scored, that is true. But at the same time, the defense gave up the most points. So, right—that's
1: the that's bad part of it. So well, and, and that's what we're right getting at. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. The well, e- yeah. Eli-led offense scored more points than the Cowboys' offense, the Eagles' offense, both playoff teams. And of course the the Redskins, not that they're anything to write home about either, but and yet suddenly there are so many people who want to blame the quarterback. Yeah, figure that one out. But thanks for the call.
0: Yeah, appreciate you weighing in, Neil. Uh, yeah, thank Thanks you so much guys. for joining us. I'll, I'll catch you again. You you take it. care. Thanks for tuning into the program. I think you gotta look at this season as a whole, and you can't look at it necessarily by just groupings of four games. Were there stretches where Eli and the offense struggled? Absolutely. I would not disagree with anybody for saying that. Were there also stretches when the offensive line produced where they were able to then move the football and put points on the board? Yes. So that's what Dave Gettleman needs to say to himself, which is why he's going through the evaluation process. He needs to say to himself, Paul, when Eli was given the ideal circumstances, is that good enough? Is that to our standard where we think we can continue to produce? Well, let me ask
1: you this. If over the second half of the season, the offense averaged nearly 30 points a game,
0: and in half of those games, he
1: didn't have Odell Beckham Jr.
4: <laughs>
0: well, they put up... I mean... <laughs> yeah. And, and you could say that he, he didn't have Odell Beckham Jr. in the final two games of the season against two playoff teams, the Colts and the Cowboys, and they didn't have too much problems putting points on the board. They scored 27 against Indianapolis, and then they put up 35 against the Dallas Cowboys... Now, at the same time, they go up against Tennessee, which was a borderline playoff team, and then scored nothing. That so, was,
1: that was, and that was the one-game aberration in the second half of the season where they just where the absolutely offense fell off. had nothing.
0: Yeah, Chicago against a really good defense. They put up 30. That was in overtime. And then the Redskins were dismantled by injuries. I don't know how much stock and substance you want to put into that game, but they put up 40 in that game. So the second-half results were, by far, night and day compared to what the first half was. And that was by the time the offensive line started to settle in, they made their necessary changes. You were in games, just couldn't finish those games. Part of that is the offense, part of that is the defense. And final thought, I'd go as
1: far as to say there's not one playoff team right now that's alive in the NFL postseason that would not take what the Giants put up offensively in the final two months of the
0: season. From a production standpoint, yeah. I think they would be content with that. It's the defense, though, that they wouldn't necessarily... I mean, if you're going to average 27
1: points or 28 points, whatever it was, nearly 30 a game, and you said to any of the playoff teams right now, that's what we're going to give you, chances are they'd probably sign up for it.
0: Absolutely. Consistency. That's what separates the men from the boys in the NFL, and that's where the Giants want to head towards. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. You can give us a ring the remainder of the week as we take you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live from noon to one PM New Eastern. New
1: time. Remember that, Indeed. folks. Indeed, yes. Noon to one from now on throughout the offseason. Please uh, check it out.
0: And a reminder Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Live Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So Big Blue Kickoff Live will be up and running each and every weekday tomorrow at noon Eastern for Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow. We'll speak to you tomorrow right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.